Good evening, everybody. Welcome to BAM Movie Reviews. I'm Jeff, and I don't do this alone. I do it with my buddy, Mike. Good evening, sir. Good evening. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing very well. Um, just kind of stoked about the review we're going to do on this and um, another one we're doing afterwards. But um, this is, um, this is a, a different one. Actually, this one is more near and dear to your heart because you're the, uh, the book reader of the two of us, the heavier book reader, I would say. So you know the ins and outs of this film, and that's, of course, what we're doing is an Interview with the Vampire, which um, came out in 19... My notes here, sorry. Uh, 94, November 11, 1994. Uh, budget was $60 million, made $223 million for at that time. So if you figure, if you want to like coordinate it today, it was like an $80 million budget, made about a $800 million. I guess that's the way you coordinate inflation. But um, thoughts jones about this film i know it's uh, one of your favorites this one yeah this one holds a little little special place in my heart not just for the movie but the, like you were saying you know I, I am an avid book reader um and this is one of those ones like when i grew up my i got you know chronicles of narnia i read the hobbit and then the then the hormones kicked in and the teenage years kicked in and my, i got introduced to music so i stepped away from reading for a while it wasn't until i think i was 16 15 or 16 I was stuck at home, sick, fever. I and I just was I didn't want to watch another episode of Price is Right and uh <laughs> the Beverly Hillbillies and and, and everybody knows our our eighties uh, uh, stay home shows were. Uh so I just didn't want I couldn't watch them anymore. And so I, I just drifted into my mom's library and she had a paperback book, interview with the vampire. And I had no idea what this was. No and I picked it up and I literally fever read this. Like, like when I say fever, I was in a fever and I burnt through it like within a day and a half. It was so, it just enthralled me and I ate it up and I just reintroduced me into reading in my teen years. And I, of course I devoured, you know, uh, the vampire Lestat, queen of the dam. And then I just, you know, went off from there for, you know, for the rest of my teen to twenties. Um, so that kind of like was my re my second coming into reading books. But then when I got out to LA, this movie debuted and if you remember my stories, when I lived out in L.A., I lived just a block away, not even a block, half a block away from the mm -hmm. Manchester Theater. And when this movie came out that November, I was in the thick of it in L.A., hanging out, doing stuff. And I was walking across the street to you know, from the Manchester Theater, about ready to cross it to go home, and I paused. And you know the movie poster for this, where it's, you know, uh, where, where it's you know, Tom Cruise, and then you see, see Brad Pitt and... Uh, and uh, Christina Ricci, and uh, like being very little, you know, in the background, there was a two-story poster of that above the Manchester Theater, and it was just beautiful. I mean, just absolutely beautiful. And I just like I stood there for like a minute, and I remember going into the Manchester Theater and watching this movie for the first time. It, it was it just very captivating for me. Again, coming from the book to then seeing that massive poster, and then. And then going in, there there are a few movies uh, during that time frame, during that year or so, that I, I remember going to see. Uh, uh, Stargate was one. Stargate made a lasting impression to me to the point I'm still a oh, Stargate yeah, fan. Yeah. <laughs> we we haven't cracked open that door here, so we no, we're, we're you, not you, going to. I think one of these <laughs> nights, maybe I'll I'll hit the P4 and leave the recording as, as Jones gushes over Stargate oh, because yeah. it's literally up till four o'clock and he just gushes about it. Yeah, that's so, another. Yeah. That's another. Story, but, but, but again, for... yeah, again, something that 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 time that uh, that was a few years I did live in LA. They were very, you know, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Poignant years? Not poignant yeah. years, but they definitely left an impacting impact on me and who I became because of just some of the things I saw. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I just absolutely gush over this movie. Um, and a lot, lot of lot of great, great movies came out during that time. So, especially this era, uh, I, I would say for me, I didn't read the books, so I went in there cold. Uh, I used to, I was a big watcher of Entertainment Tonight. Uh, all the uh, like, kind of like the um, back in the day, I guess you would call it like celebrity, almost like gossipy shows, like Entertainment Tonight. I used to watch all those. Extra was another one I used to watch. And the big thing was like before they started doing the filming on this was like, oh, Tom Cruise has been cast as Lestat. Ooh, man, there were, you talk about like, you know, casting when Heath Ledger was cast as a Joker and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Same, yeah, same level, yeah, very much. There was right. same level, why he's not Lestat, blah, 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 hatred, emails. Back then there was no email, so it was like letters to Anne Rice, you know, what are you doing, you know, this is terrible. And of course, when things like that happen, of course, the actor proves you wrong and he kills it. And, and I think Tom Cruise killed it in this role. And actually, everybody killed in this role, uh, to say the least. And uh, that was the big lasting impression for you. Then I saw the movie. Incredible movie. And because you, you had like the big thing about it, you had these actors, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Antonio Banderas, who was basically uh, coming out after I think he just it was after Desperado. I'm not no, sure. I think no, Desperado. this was way. This was um way before. This is not way before. Say about a year and a half before Desperado. Okay, because so this I before remember the, um... again. I remember seeing Desperado when I lived out in L.A. I, I left left L.A. once it came back home here in Altamont. Spent about a year here. Went back out. Next, my met my wife, and one of our first dates was to go see Desperado at the Cinemascope in uh, in L.A. Can't wait till we do that film. But yeah, uh, that yeah. one. You got Stephen Ray in there, who was pretty big. Um, Christian Slater, who was taking the place of uh, River Phoenix, I believe. Yeah. Who was initially going to do this role, but of course, you know, tragedy happened River, and uh, Christian stepped in to play Daniel Malloy, and I thought he did a killer job. I thought their dynamic is what's, to me, between him and Louis, is what sold it, because if you look at the film, you know, I'm going way into detail. Let's talk about the films, Jones, so I will let you go before I blow the whole plot. Not a problem. Uh, so basically, we're going to start uh, in modern-day San Francisco. Uh, reporter Daniel Malloy played Christian Slater. And, of course, like you just said, he took over after River Phoenix passed away in front of the uh, in front of the, uh, what was it, the Viper Room out in L.A. I kind of remember being out there when that happened. Um, oh, you were really there? Wow. Yeah, I was out there yeah, when all that took place. Uh, I used to pass by the Viper Room all the time. That was the, the actor's hot spot that you know, a lot of folks would go. Um, and it's very interesting. Christian Slater, when he took up the role, he made, I think, twenty two $250,000. He donated that, didn't take a penny of that, donated it all straight to Two of Rivers' uh, biggest um, charities. So that was something I've always remembered about that. You know, it's like, yeah, he stepped in, picked up this role. He could have just been like, yeah, I got a new role because of my friend dying, whatever. And But no, he was he was good about it and, like, spent the money and sent the money other places, so... That's good. That's good to hear. I, I, I actually I didn't know that you told me right there. Yeah, right no, now. actually I remember hearing that. And like, I'm looking at it right here. I was like, oh shit. Sure, no, yeah, no. yeah. I thought that was really cool of him doing that. I think he also sent some of the money to to some of uh, Rivers' uh, family as well. But yeah, it was he didn't take a dime of it, which I thought was amazing. Uh, so uh, Daniel Malloy is, uh, sets up recording equipment to in a rundown upper level apartment. One of the coolest openings to me, I thought, it was just because it just sets this tone. Um, of this, you know, this nighttime sweeping in across the bay in San Francisco into the city, and just the yelling and the uh, c- uh, cacophony of the, all the noise in the city, and it zooms up into this this building, you know, this window with uh, where you see Louis just standing, uh, looking over 
his food, basically. I mean, when you really think about it, um, but he intends that Daniel intends to interview uh, Louis, uh, and uh, he uh, who claims to be a vampire. Uh, Malloy is skeptical until Louis brashly displays his supernatural gifts by swiftly turning on the room's lights and then jumping right to be right in front of him. Uh, cool showing, scene, yeah, very great, cool yeah, and uh, <laughs> showing his uh, translucent and uh, and he oozes just charm. Now, I read, and I don't know if this was true or not. Um, use you know, a lot of like Hollywood myths and things like that. That the actors would have to hang upside down like thirty minutes as they were putting on the makeup to get I, their blood. I heard blood. that too. Um, yeah, yeah, which I was like to get their blood um, up there, and then I don't know. It was very weird. When I was like, well, I've never heard that before. I, yeah, because the way that the, the makeup is done, especially Louis in his opening scene, you see his, his eyes very translucent in his skin. Although he's still very young, you could see like there's a little bit of cracks here and there. Well, it's he, very veiny, like it's almost very, yeah, very It's very okay, varicose when you look at their vein, like the look at their face. You see like little blue veinies coming around. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's but yeah, that's one's one of the myths I read, and then also that Tom Cruise made them build like a tunnel, a tube tunnel from their makeup room to the to the set, which I thought was kind of strange I, too. Uh, I could see that the guy's pretty. Although this, this is, we're, we're, we're dealing with Tom Cruise now when this is Tom Cruise back then. I don't think he was so whacked out back then. <laughs> not that, not that I remember. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so he, uh, so, um, so Louis sits down and, you know, he basically asks him, he's like, you know, do you want me to tell you my, you know, my life story? He's like, well, you know, how do you want me to begin? You know, you know, you want me to start off like David Copperfield? You know, I was born, and and so he just begins telling the story of his uh, life. And By the said, way, before you before you go on, um, I love the way that he speaks to Daniel, like because you could you could easily overplay this part and make it very cliche. I'm a vampire, aha! He plays it very slow, and he's like, you know, in 1791, Spanish Louisiana, my like, like I love the tone he chose for this beginning as you know when he's doing Louis and just going through his backstory. But anyway, just wanted to butt in with that. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. So, uh, so Louis begins a story in 1791 where he was a young plantation owner living in the states in Louisiana, uh, having lost uh, the will to live due to his uh, death of his wife and infant child. Now there was a small, small. Well, not small. To me, it was kind of a big thing. Louis wasn't married and didn't have a child in the book. Uh, he was actually uh, mourning the loss of his brother. Uh, Louis and Louis and his brother grew up very close on the plantation, and um, his brother was going to be a, a preacher, and he lost his brother and became. Man, that would have made it, actually. I, I know why they did it, because I guess it's that they make you make you make him. You know, you make you feel more sorry for him because oh man, he lost his wife and his kid, and him losing his brother. Yeah bad but maybe not as bad as living a wife and a kid but i don't know like the, him losing like a preacher brother well he wasn't a preacher yet but he, he was like he was like destined he's studying to be, to be yeah, a he was studying to be a preacher and very so, walk the line <laughs> yes very, very very much walk the line um but i just think yeah like i said i think it was it was a it was a slight change like you said i think it's more of a giving him a you know something closer to the heart but in the book you hear about you know him making this this like little uh, prayer area for his brother and you know everything that they did to to make sure you know, you know that he was taken care of and just it was something a little bit deeper to it uh, so he just just goes around squanders his wealth gambles shady bars just basically welcoming death not much, that much different from the book uh, while wandering the waterfront drunk and uh, in the company of a harlot he's attacked by a vampire wandering the waterfront drunk uh, or uh, named uh, Lestat the Lion Court of course Tom Cruise uh, cool and, name, yes, by the way. and you were right yeah um, everybody freaked out about Tom Cruise even Anne Rice 
this was not her choice. She was away when they finally, when they finally, because uh, it went from Paramount to somebody else, and she wasn't involved in the movie for a little Do bit. Do you recall but... the choices they had before, Tom? Was, not was off the top of my head. I thought I had a list here, but I can't seem to find it right now. But yeah, there I was a list that. of a few. I think Tom Hanks was offered it, but he turned and went to Forrest Gump. Well, good choice for him. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, th- I couldn't see him. Uh, I couldn't see him doing that. And I'm trying to remember. Who else? Because I, I thought I saw a list of it. And uh, we'll look at that app offline. Check that out. That'd be interesting to look at. Like, who are the choices besides Tom? Who could have played this part? And I'd be interested to see. And if you guys know about it, you know, just post it on the page and let us know. Yeah, I'm trying to. I had it listed here. Yeah, but there of a few people. Yeah, um, let's see. Yeah, Anne Rice met with Tom. Met with Tom Hanks. Uh, she loved his uh, performance during Phil, uh, Philadelphia. Daniel Day Lewis was also up for Ooh. the role, which that would have been a deeper. Mm, yeah, I think he would have. Where this is more an ensemble cast, I think he would have, he would have overwhelmed the movie, to me. Because anytime Daniel Day Lewis acts, you know he, there's everybody else, and then there's him. Yeah, so. he he has a tendency of chewing up some scenery. Yeah, so I I don't know. Um, who else do we have here? Um, Johnny Depp was actually offered it as well. Johnny Depp would make sense. I could see Johnny doing it. Well, especially yeah, at, at this time, yeah, I can definitely see him him being part of that. And I think that was the only ones. I think out of the three, Johnny would have been more. Would have been interesting, but yeah. uh, you know what we got is. You know, yeah, and again, it. like I was saying, uh, Anne Rice was not a fan of of Tom Cruise. In fact, she pretty much was like, "No, I'm, I don't want to have any part of this movie." Uh, like, and it wasn't until. Uh, she got. She just walked away from the movie. Actually, uh, she had to get story credit because you know the movie was based off of her book. Uh, she didn't actually watch the movie until the director sent her a VHS copy, and she finally sat down. That's that. So you got to understand, it went through the it not it went through the movies through the theaters and then had to get produced. And so, folks, for you know back then, VHS copies took years to come out. So, you know, so it, it, was, it was a, a year. Yeah. I think it was a year to locate. Like, yeah. Years. So it was a while before it. So, and that's when she finally just sat down and watched it. And then she actually called Tom, apologized, made a two minute video that they put on top of the, when they started doing reprints of the VHS and the DVDs, and then also took out a, a full page ad in a magazine to. And I think you can look up that clip on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. It lives on YouTube. So you can check that clip out. I have seen that. And, uh, she basically just eats her words, and um, yeah. Another thing I will say also, I'm sure she didn't turn down th- that paycheck that came because this movie did make some. Well, doubt. again, you got to realize she's had a lot of. She's had not a lot, but she's had a few movies that have already come that came out, and. Um, but wouldn't you say this is like her baby? This is like this was a, her first one. The beginning. Yeah, because well, like this started universe. off as a. This actually started off in Playboy magazine as a short story. Yeah, and it so picked up a lot of steam. And then, yeah, this is her first one. So, yeah, I mean, you write a book, you make a song, your first song book—that's your baby. You're gonna love that thing all the way to the end, and that's the way it was. She originally had seen uh, had when she wrote "Interview with a Vampire" back in 1976. She envisioned Rutger Howard to do Young it. Rutger yeah. Howard, yeah, he, yeah. Mm. Granted, he did end up doing a, a vampire movie later on, a Buffy Vampire Slayer. And there was also this was going to be made in nineteen. <laughs> this was going to be made back in the early seventies, and they had earmarked Lestat for 
John Travolta back then. <sighs> and but uh, but that mm. never came to fruition either. But uh, but yeah. So eventually, it, <laughs> sorry, it came. I, just, like, I couldn't see him. Yeah. Sorry, just not 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 nothing against John. He's a good actor. But, but again, but... we're talking early John. You gotta think. We're not talking. We're I not don't too, even uh, think early John could have done it. I well, you gotta think. I don't. It wouldn't have been done this way either. <laughs> it's not. It wouldn't have had the I'm same. I'm sure it was like I've seen some of the movies and like vampire movies of the '70s. If they were going to go that route, and I, yeah. I just couldn't see him doing it. Yeah, I mean, you got to think Love at First Bite, uh, Nosferatu, The Vampire. Hey, that's you know. a great film, by the way. That's George Hamilton. That's a fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so you got to think back. Vampires back then probably would not have been done because you would have had the studio foot step in and go, "No, vampires are this way." She literally created vampires. Now, like what you were seeing as vampires in today's society, like the last 20 years, was completely and fully influenced by her. Yes, we have to blame her for the sparkly vampires because those authors fell in love with them. And they, and they, and honestly, it was this story that kind of took, they make vampires villainous in this, but there's also a bit of a humanism to them, like Louis specifically is very He's charming. Good. Louis yeah. is charming. That's what it is. I mean, Lestat is. Yeah. Lestat has his own way of charm, but it's more Lestat in this book is the sadistic. devil. But when you yeah. read Vampire Lestat, it's a whole nother book and a whole nother take because now it's from Lestat's point of view. You got to think, you know, a book written about our podcast from your point of view and my point of view, you know, it's going to look completely different. So that's kind of how you have to look at this. Yeah, where you're the enemy. Exactly. So, so, yeah. no. so uh, Lestat sees uh, sees Louis walking out with a whore. And uh, whore and the woman is killed <laughs> and uh, Louis is fed on, but ne- not allowed. Um, he's, uh, he's allowed to live. And Lassat senses uh, Louis's descent uh, t- for life and, and returns him to uh, offer him a new one, giving him the choice I never had. Uh, and if anybody has ever read any of the books, they un- you have to understand uh, Lestat never had a choice when he was made as a vampire. That's, that quote is so powerful. Lestat was literally stolen away from in the middle of the night and fed on and forced to drink the blood. So he, he didn't know what he was doing. So yeah, that, that for me, that was like, a, for, and for a lot of the readers, that was a heavy comment the choice I never had. And you're like, Oof, that, that's, that's deep. Uh, so uh, Louis meets Lestat at the cemetery where the uh, vampire drains him to the point of death before offering him his own blood and doing so transforming Louis into the newborn vampire that he becomes and what a great scene too. yeah yeah like, that transformation yeah. oh man like the whole thing as he as he's like okay you are now dead now wake up he's like i can't see anything he's like use your vampire eyes and he like his he opens his other eyes up and he sees like the entire graveyard like he's he sees the world differently like louis dead that that part of him is gone like and this is like a reinvention renewed like Totally new person. I love that scene. I, I don't see Louis as a new person in this. I see Louis's body as new. Louis is still Louis. Louis is still holding uh, on. That is that is that is we'll a whole that is a whole story arc for, I the, think, for this whole thing. Uh, is I Louis, think he, Louis he holding on to his dips humanity? His toe. He dips his toe to like that life, and then very little, very little. Yeah. I think a lot, a lot more. Than I think one of, one of the best parts about that that scene is is when you see the when he looks up at the statue of the angel and the angel like looks at him and then turns yes, like and literally down. look the eyes turn away from him and close like it's the angel turning his back on him so, yeah basically if you look into like you know you want to get religious it's almost like god turning his back mm-hmm. on him and like and again if if they stuck to the original story that would have had a bigger deeper meaning because of his brother being the religious man that yes, he was. Yes, like the that's, 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 saying, that's, like him being a preacher yeah. dude. Oh, yeah, that's I what hope. I said. There were there were levels to this that if you read the book you were like, "Oh, that's deep." 
but they're not I really sitting. wonder, you know, not, not, not to cut you off for a minute. I know they're, they're doing the, the well, as, as you hear this, they're doing a series of interview with a mm-hmm. vampire this year. It's coming out. So I wonder if they're going to stick more with the book. And I, apparently from what you've told me and what I've read, they are sticking more to that original book. So I sounds just... like, especially they've got the time to do it. The only thing I think that they're doing differently that I've seen in just the trailers, it's at a different time frame. It's not the time that they were at. So, um, is it but more it, modern times, I think? It looks like it is, so that way he is still a hundred-and-something-year-old vampire instead of a 300-year-old vampire. I think that they moved it just so his age would stay the same. So that way, like, when they're having an interview now in 2020 compared to having an interview in 1976. Mm, yeah. You know, you're talk, you know, you're talking, you know, 50-year difference, really. That's so sad. I think they adjusted the time frame 50 years. I have issues with it, but I again, I'm only going based off of the what I've seen. I haven't really heard anything in this, so I'm not going to say because it does take place throughout hundreds of years. You know, even the movie, the movie you see it t- it changed from the plantation era to now electricity's showing up and so it jumps around. So I got, that's why I'm not questioning it too much. Yeah, we'll see what they do. Uh, so, uh, so, however, he quickly regrets his decision and finds feasting on humans immoral, whereas Lestat reveals in the, the, in the pleasure of killing. As such, uh, Louis begins to suffer uh, and survives by feasting on rats and other small animals. Uh, and again, this is like this is an ongoing thing throughout the you know both stories. Is like he just he's fighting his humanity. He Do can't you think kill. by him instead of like at the beginning, not trying to feed on humans and just feeding on rats was him trying to hold on to the last bit of humanity yeah. that he had yeah. left. That's what I was just saying. Yeah, yeah. Because it, sorry, it's him. I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm listening to you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, it's it's him holding on to the last bit of his humanity because he just he can't kill. He can't take a life. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's something very difficult for him. Uh, and it's something, again, that's, as you're watching this, we know the rest of the story is like, Lestat was sort of the same way, you know, he, he had no problems taking, but what he learned very quickly was take villains, take the evil people's lives. That's where Lestat, like I said, we're looking at a story from a child uh, in their life. And usually the parents, oh, are, the parents no. aren't always, the parents aren't yeah. always the heroes in fo- some children's lives. So, you know, we just. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off again. Um, I'm just thinking about like the series they're going to attempt to do. They might try to make Lestat an anti-hero. He's got to be, unless unless they're going to unless they're incorporate both the books, Lestat because uh, that's yeah, like I said, it's it's really touchy. Yeah, uh, I just uh, somebody's bad is just a bad, but anyway. But he's not bad though. That's what I'm I know. I know he's not bad, but like the way he's depicted throughout yeah. this film, he is. Cons- he's gonna be. He's gonna be bad. depicted as a douchebag. I mean, that's just yeah, a he's a douche. Yeah. Like yeah. this whole film, like I don't like him. Yeah, like, he's a dick. So, so uh, one night at a party, uh, Lestat uh, convinces uh, Louis to seduce a wealthy but older heiress uh, in order to drink her blood, while Lestat feasts on her uh, powdered servant, the little fop. <laughs> Uh, Louis attempts to feed on her, but uh, goes straight for her poodles, which is great. Not a scene from the book, uh, which is kind of funny. Uh, it, this is something that they added in, which I thought was great because it did show that that side, and and it showed this sort of like companionship that Louis that Lestat saw in Louis. You know, he laughed. You know, he's like, "Oh, okay, you you go ahead and feed on the rest of the you on the on the vermin around the world, um, and I, and I'll feed on the on the hierarchy." You know, you just. It was, was a very, it, really interesting, like, take on it. In a weird way, they sort of replaced, like, you know, I know from what you told me in the book, you know, he had a brother that died. 
But I guess in a weird sort of way, they sort of kept that theme going because I guess Lestat was the older brother to the younger brother of Louis. They didn't really you... keep it. No, it just they Louis Lestat became his brother. Um, okay. And that's uh, all. Uh, yeah. It, well, yeah. No, the, that connection was never really put out there. Okay. Not for, and it was never connected with Lestat. Uh, but in the interview, uh, Malloy asks about the vampire stereotypes, coffins, crucifixes, garlic, stakes through the heart. Louis admits most of that is nonsense, except for the coffins. So, you know, of course, you have to live in those um, or go into the ground. There are two options. Um, but they are one of the only sensible things vampires can do can do to rest and fear, you know, not fear the light. Uh, so during the evening, Louis has a rare moment of uh, being alone with his servant, Yvette, and uh, who uh, confides that she and the other slaves are concerned about their master and how he never comes out uh, during the day anymore or comes and visits the slave girls, makes a hint that, you know, he goes out and visits the girls. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another character that was in the book that is not here, Lestat's father. Lestat's human father. Is he a prominent character? Not really, but he is a moment of where you see Lestat is still connected to his fam to his to his mortal life. He has his blind father with him, and when he and Louis move in together, hmm. and so there's this like the slaves are helping taking care of the blind father. Is he sort of like a moral compass to Lestat? A, not a, no, not a, not in the least. He despises his father, but he is his father. He's taking care of him. But it, in the book, it shows that there's a there's a humanity to to Lestat because he's he's watching out for his something that. So even though his dad hates his guts or yeah. he hates him, he's still gonna. Take but care. and and also that's at the cool. same time, Lestat's talking big and bad about all oh, these mortals are food, and yet he's taking care of his father. His mortal father again, you know. It's so it's 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 a real interesting one. That's what I thought. I was like, man, that would have been cool to do that. But I think they wanted more villainy out of Lestat during the uh, during this time. Hmm. So uh, so she confronts Louis about this, um, and uh, but he takes her by the wrist and feeds upon her. She screams, and Louis suddenly has to stifle her. The other slaves, having grown uh, suspicious of him over time, approach the mansion. Uh, with uh, with torches to see uh, Louis carrying out Yvette's body. Um, and Louis, of course, grabs the torch and tells the slaves that the master is damned. He should all run, and he sets the the mansion on fire. Uh, that arrives just in time, of course, to scold Louis, Louis uh, and, uh, who seems uh, bent on punishing him for his sins. Uh, if I remember correctly in the book, I think they had already sort of been sort of trans transitioning out to live in New Orleans and away from the uh, from there. Cause there so was, was the burning down of the plantation part of the whole thing? Is that part of the book? or is that It is part of the book that the plantation does burn down and that because they start questioning, like the whole thing about the slaves questioning what's going on in the house does happen. Uh, Lestat's father eventually does pass away, and uh, so they have to They eventually just move out anyways, and it just kind of all comes down. There is a secondary character that's introduced in the book of another plantation owner, a female plantation owner, who uh, Louis has not a relation I want a relationship but not a sexual relationship or a love relationship he just has a connection to this woman and something goes on with her and his slaves and everything kind of like falls apart so and that's another reason wow. for them to have to leave that area gotcha so they eventually find new dwelling in New Orleans but Louis remains despondent refusing to feed on humans even when Lestat has uh, them to offer on a silver platter uh, in one instant Lestat brings home two prostitutes and uh, toys with them before killing them. A great, amazing scene. That they great had. scene. Yeah. Great freaking scene. I think one of them is like lying over the couch, like headrest, and he feeds on one. Louis just doesn't do anything. He just 
Lestat's just, you know, going, going about his merry thing, doing his thing, you know, and Louis just does, you know, nothing. <laughs> yeah, uh, the one of them is, and actually one of them is uh, Helen uh, McCrory. Uh, she went off, and uh, goodness, uh, I think she ended off being um, Narcissa Malfoy in um, the Harry Potter movies. Oh, okay, wow. Yeah, and she was also in the uh, Count of Monte Crisco, the 2002 movie. So freaking great, yeah. dude! What a by the way, a young Henry Cavill is in the Count of Monte Crisco. She was also yeah. uh, she was in uh, Peaky Blinders. She plays Polly Gray in Peaky Blinders. So she's had a career after this. She's yeah, she's uh, had a had a bit of a career after this. And the other uh, prostitute was a whore. A whore. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the other one is Indra Ove. Actually, that's the one that has the main, the big scene with, with um, with Lestat about you know putting her in the coffin. Uh, she has actually been all over the place. Resident Evil. She was Miss Black. Uh, she was uh, the fifth in the Fifth Element. She was a VIP stewardess. Uh, in the um, Star Wars Episode Nine, she was a First Order officer, uh, so she has been around and continued to work uh, for quite some time. I know it's not your favorite uh, favorite Star Wars, but she was she was in it. So. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so he offers her offers the the hookers or the prostitutes. Sorry, not the hookers. Uh, he toys with them, and of course, eventually uh, he tries to kill just kills them both because the stats just pushing louis to the to the limit um finally stats philosophy is if uh, is one of the pleasures out of necessity they must feed so why not have fun uh he again this is kind of a twist on what Lestat is like because we you know he he does sort of go after the bad people once you realize what he's doing uh so louis just runs off in the middle of the night and just goes wandering through the city and in a, in a, in a sector infested with the plague where he discovers a little girl Kirsten Dunst, who I think this was her, was this her first or second? I believe that this was her first film because they made a big deal about it. Because I remember Entertainment Tonight, they'd be like, oh, it's Kirsten Dunst's first movie. And she was, I think no, was I think a, this was her second one because I think she did Little Women first. That, was she in Little Women? Maybe, yeah, right? yeah, she was in Little Women first. And then, which has been remade like a hundred times. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> let's see what her. Her filmography yet? Oh, that's her discography. Oh, I didn't realize she had a singing career. Oh, she was actually on Saturday Night Live too. She uh, back in 1988, Vanity, a Bonfire, of the Vanities. Also, she was in Next Generation. Uh, so yeah, she's she's been around for a while. Okay, so yeah, definitely not her, not her first, uh, but probably her breakout. We're going to call that her breakthrough or breakout role. Was uh, it was definitely this movie. Yeah, I'm looking at her filmography right now, and uh, she's 40 years old. Holy shit! She married Jesse Plemons. Good for him. Jesse Plemons is not a good-looking dude. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Just anyway, keep going. <laughs> I haven't had to give out your fucking email address in a while, dude. Come on now. <laughs> So, uh, and one of her, one of her strangest, uh, one of her, actually, uh, her first kiss in real life was with Brad Pitt. Uh, and, it, and she, when she did an interview about it, she's like, she thought it was the weirdest thing. Cause again, she was like 12 years old when 13 years old when she did this movie. And, and she's how old was he, like 30. Yeah, I, think I think that you were saying he was like 13 years or 18 years older than her. Um, but yeah, she's like, he was, he was, she's like, he, I thought he had the cooties again. I mean, a 12 year old. 
The scene was impactful though. She was good at it too. Yeah. Like you could tell, like this chick has. I mean, this little. Oh girl yeah, I mean, chops. there were yeah, there were moments. Yeah, we're gonna get to this where she uh, showed definitely showed her acting chops. Where she like, she killed. Like, there, it. There's scenes she she runs circles around both of the guys. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you'll get that. So uh, she um so she, she's uh, weeping by her decomposing mother. She runs to Louis for comfort, but suddenly it's over. He's overcome with his hunger and feeds on her. Lestat appears laughing, celebrating Louis's break from his absence by dancing with the girl's dead mother. Uh, just a creepy cryptic scene, scene yeah. man. Cryptic. That's what I'm thinking. Like you say that he's an anti-hero sort of like like in the book, killing bad guys. Well, you're dancing around with a corpse, dude. That you're kind of a mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm he saying. returns home. He shares uh, with Lestat to find. Um, he shares with. Oh, he returns home to the home he shares with Lestat to find that he's brought the little girl back with him alive. Appealing to Louis's compassion to convince him to stay with him, Lestat turns the girl into making her into a vampire name and names her Claudia. Uh, Louis resents Lestat for doing this, but comes to love Claudia as his own daughter. The transformation was so bizarre. That's the one thing out of this movie, like her transformation from this gaunt, sickly-looking girl to where her hair curls. <laughs> like Her hair was flat, and all of a sudden now it gets all curly because she becomes a vampire. I thought that was very strange uh, in that. Oh, like, is that a vampire thing when you get no, bit, you, you, no, you get curly hair? No, that's why I was like, why did why did her hair get all curly? And, and I just she makes a joke about it. Why is my hair like this? And she gets like, well, yeah. Later on, she makes it. She makes a comment about it. Uh, so uh, so he uh, he enlists that dote on her, showing her uh, luxuries, clothing, dolls, and Claudia grows into a uh, talented killer, using uh, as through time as as time passes, Claudia remains the little girl. Immort, you know, immortality so she's constantly growing up but she's not growing physically you know um sorry again i didn't mean to catch up but i just think that she's a fascinating character it's too bad they didn't do much more with claudia because like you just said she's a little girl but she's growing up and older she's like what 30 years old but still like in the, in the, in the vein of a 12 year old yeah i think she, she like i think the, she's actually she could be the 60. perfect killer dude like yeah and she's just like running around like unassuming oh still growing and do nothing for me and she could just go out there and just murder everybody. Well, there's again, that's something that they really didn't delve into too much. I, I guess wish just they in time consent. They it was showed that Louis and her were a family. Like he had this family, and I think that was probably the change for the main reason to have that change that his mother that his wife and his child died, that this kind of replaced mm. them. Uh, but then what would happen is when she would go out hunting, she would only hunt with Lestat. Yeah. Like they sort of mention it, but in the book they go into depth as she is just this vicious killer. You see a scene in the movie where you see her crying at a, uh, at a bench. At the, at, yeah. Like a little bench. Yeah. Yeah. And this like, lady sits down. Oh, well she, and she, you know, petting her and then she attacks. So they sort of like give a hint to it. But in the book, they talk about how she was just this epic predator. She, you know, don't want to steal anything from wrestling, but she was the apex predator in there. Like to the point where she worried, like Lestat kind of was scared, like of how intense she was about it. Yeah, young, unassuming, and you know, not not to bring up some weird stuff of a vampire show, but when I watched, yes, you can call me out on it. Uh, I used to watch the Vampire Diaries, and like one, this one girl, uh, season one, she got turned into a vampire, she was a teenage girl, and her emotions were so heightened that she always had a feed and made her like an apex predator. Like she was like dangerous to everybody because her alert system was always on. Like that vampirism made her everything that she had heightened to a yeah. sense that she was going to kill anything and it made her dangerous. Like even like vampires should have been around for 200, 300 years. They were scared of her. And they mentioned like, yeah, once you have your first taste of blood, 
it's a feeling that is going to keep going until you can learn how to control it. So I could see how she could be a vicious killer more than Lestat was because she's younger. Of course, she's going to be more of a murderous type. Yeah. She just doesn't have experience yet, as they say. Uh, so when she finally realizes she cannot grow old and looks as uh, as other women do, she becomes furious, demands that Louis tell her how how you know how she became to be, and after hearing the story, blames Lestat for her condition. And he tells uh, tells Louis that it's time for them to leave Lestat and devises a plan since Lestat would never let them go. Uh, on a uh, basis of a truce, she fools Lestat into drinking dead blood from two boys who had overdosed on laudanum. Uh, and basically, uh, it's it's a it's a type of poison, but I guess it doesn't. I've never heard of it. Yeah, I, like I, I had, but it's like it's just no. I just have always known it as a poison. But right. in this state, it basically made the body still feel warm. And drinking drinking dead blood doesn't kill them; it just makes them very sick. Mm. So, having fed for, uh, from the dead, Lestat is incapacitated, and Claudia slits his throat. I mean, awesome, brutal scene. <sighs> Uh, and again, you don't want her to talk about one of the scenes that she chew up is that scene where she, like, Lestat finds the dead body in the bed of the woman. She's like, I want to be her, and, you know, and uh, and then uh, she chops her hair off and then they grow back and she's just like, yeah. just a massive freak out uh, is going on. And it's it's just such an intense scene. So, uh, so they uh, they uh, incapacitate Lestat and then slit his throat and they, she throw, they throw him into the uh, into the bayou and dump his body there. Uh, to for the gators to just uh, just enjoy, but just before they're, they're they think they're free, so they're gone a day. Actually, in the book, it was like weeks, and uh, Lestat had found another person to kind of become her his her brother. Like during this time frame, there's like a lot that went on in the book, where like Lestat finds another boy, and he kind of helps, you know, and he's like, I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna, you're you're an only child, you're spoiled, kind of thing, and uh, but so as they're packing up to leave. Because they want, they decide they want to travel the world. They want to go around the world and find other vampires. Because the Stots taught them nothing, so they want to travel the world and see what other vampires may offer to them. Uh, but just before they go to leave, the Stot shows up. Just oh, eerie, creepy scene. Playing the piano. Dude, when he's playing the piano. Yeah. Oh man, he, he like just plays with his little truffle shirt, and he just play. I don't, I don't, I forgot what he's playing. Some kind of French song, but he's just playing like very monotone and he's just talking and you see this like decrepit face he's like i fed on like gate i killed the gators like i rats and i'm here like oh just eerie yeah. but yeah so then uh they so they, he tries to attack them they throw a, a lantern down onto them and they begin to cause a massive fire which causes a bigger fire in new orleans um sorry i'm Jumped, no, ahead, jumped ahead. I uh, jumped ahead as I was talking. Head. So they travel <laughs> as I'm going through like a couple of paragraphs here. Just I'm like lightly doing it. So as they travel through uh, through the Mediterranean across Europe, seeking other vampires, but they never find anything. They find small signs of them, but never like interacting with another vampire. Uh, eventually, they settle in Paris, and one night Louis is, uh, encounters a vampire named Santiago, who's played by Stephen Ray, uh, who taunts him before meeting up with uh, Armand. Uh, played by Antonio Banderas, who way off on the casting. Sorry, really? <laughs> way off like on the casting. I think I love Armand. Huh. Um, I like I like Antonio Banderas. Armand was turned when he was seventeen. He is a child. Oh, he is a kid. He is a, a, a an old, a younger, a younger adult. He is not Antonio Banderas. 
Yeah, yeah, bad. That one I was like, I, I loved uh, the, his presence and how what he did, but that's not Armand. Uh, I, I I'm not a big fan of the movie, but when you look at Queen of the Dam, the kid that they had in Mar- I was as just Armand, mention Queen of the Dam, he's yeah. he's spot on. That's that's Armand. He's a young blonde headed little kid. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, yeah, way off on it. But again, it works in the tone of the movie. But again, it's we understand. I, I've learned to let those things go when I see something like, oh, that's wrong. That's not. No, that's just what they chose to do, and they went with that. Uh, so they meet up with Armand, who is the head of the Vampire Theater or Theater de Vampire, which later on, if you guys read the books, you find that you, the Vampire Lestat book goes into the history of that van, of that theater and what it was. And how it became, and it's it's it for you like who likes to go back and dig into like you know the kind of the history of things. Mm-hmm. W- reading interview with a vampire, then jumping to vampire Lestat, is sort of like an origin story for not just Lestat and, and Louis and, and Claudia, but the world and the vampire world that they're living in. There's like this great origin story behind it. And it just so so great. Uh, so they um, they they see as seductive vampires who theorize that after 400 years he is the only one. Antonio Banderas says he is the only one in um, in the world. Uh, he's the oldest one that he has ever come across. Uh, Armand invites Louis and Claudia to come with him to be part of their coven, where the vampires pretend to be humans up on the stage, uh, even though they're actually feasting on unsuspected patrons. Uh, Claudia is disgusted by the cheap theatrics, but Louis is uh, drawn to Armand by his charm and his wisdom. Is that part of the book? Is Armand very charming as well? Or is that like something that they just added? That, it's, that's Armand. something that, that, that's Antonio's ooze. Okay. Yeah, that, that's his machismo there. Yeah. It's there a little bit, but not so much. In the book, Armand was raised in a coven and thought and raised as a satanic worshiper. That the devil is the one that gave them their powers, and so really, yeah, Man, that, yeah, that would have been a more fascinating story. Well, yeah, that's not in Vampire. That's in that's in a, a Lestat. That's not an interview. So you find that mm-hmm. out in in, in a Lestat that that Armand was was the head of the coven in Paris, and they were they were satanic worshippers, and they thought that Lestat was the, was the devil, or was like was like breaking all the devil's rules because he was living his, his life as a you know as a gentleman in Paris. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, there's a really deep, deep story going on with, with Lestat. I got to tell you something after we finish this review, because you, you just struck up something I just recalled from another series, but I'll keep going. <laughs> so uh, Santiago is able to read Louis' mind and suspect that he and Claudia murdered their companion, their master Lestat, to, of whom they knew. And again, uh, you don't know this, but the vampires that are in the uh, theater of the vampire, they were gifted the theater by Lestat. In another life, is that this? Does it? Does they mention that in the movie, or is it only in the book? They only mentioned, yeah, it's in the book, but not even in the in the interview. But they, in the Lestat book, they they explain it. But here, they do know who Lestat is, though. Oh, so that's kind of yeah. The movie, they, they never even. I think they, Armand, they did. Like, they did like, sort of mention that they did know Lestat, uh, but, but they knew uh, of him. He, but they just like, yeah, yeah. you know, he's just yeah. Uh, so Claudia uh, is taboo herself into that. No vampire should be created of an undead uh, child. Uh, they should never create a, ch- a vampire from a child, the invalid, the old. That is the rule. They should never do Which that. I think is kind of stupid because after what you told me, Armand was basically 17 years old when he was a vampire, correct? So Claudia, like Claudia was basically 12? Yeah, 12, 13. Yeah, actually, mean, actually, in the book, she was a lot younger. So, But yeah, they aged her up a little bit. Uh, but still, it, it, the way that Armand was created was not – was. Um, was was because of other reasons. <laughs> we, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to ruin too much of the book. So. Um, but uh, so Claudia, um, 
So uh, Claudia is a as taboo, like I said, or that you know she should not have been made. Uh, Louis is tempted, yearning to learn what he could not could not from Lestat through Armand, sensing that he is leaving. Claudia demands that Louis uh, leave for a companion and brings a woman named uh, Madeleine uh, to uh, their home. And Madeleine is agreed to change to for Claudia so that she can be uh, adopt her. Uh, basically become her companion. Like a mother, yeah. I guess a motherly type is what she was looking yeah. for. Like Louis uh, reluctantly concedes. However, as soon as Madeline completes her transformation, the uh, Parisians' vampires invade the home and abduct the three of them. Uh, they encase Louis in a uh, metal coffin and trap Claudia and Madeline in a well open to the sky above at dawn. Mm. Uh, just, yeah, that one that one's straight out of the book, mm. and it's a, it is a heart-wrenching moment uh, if nobody's ever never seen it. Uh, so... Uh, it's a gut punch. Told us there. Yeah, it yeah it does. It is uh, a gut punching scene. Like just, oh, every time I see that movie and that scene comes on, I just like I cringe. I'm like, oh no, and you, and the way it ends for both of them, like Madeline holding Claudia, as they both freaking just turn to ash. Yeah. Just oh, oh, heartbreaking. Now, uh, so then, uh, so. Uh, before son, uh, Louis uh, is freed by Armand and, to, and tries to get to them, but uh, they cannot. Uh, enraged and grieving over uh, over his loss of Claudia, Louis uh, sets the coven on fire, killing most of the vampire vampires. He escapes with Armand, who again offers him a place by his side, and Louis refuses. Do you think Armand knew that Louis was going to do that? What freak out? No, to burn his. The, the yeah, coven. That's what I mean to freak out. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so, but. Something that Armand is doing, he has learned from other vampires, is he finds a companion each time in each each generation or each you know uh, century to learn. To he's like the only way a vampire can learn to adapt is to become familiar in a basically a chameleon to become part of that century. And Louis was his tie to that century. That's what he was trying to do. He's trying to bring Louis in to say, hey, you know what, you're. You're part of my. You're part of this century, he, and he. And that's why, if you see in the movie, that you know, he makes that comment, and Louis's like, "I'm part of no century. I'm not part of any time. I'm. I'm not. I'm lost." He. I'm not sure if you were there yet. I think you're close to it, but I, I guess I'll mention it. The scene that happens after the theater is burned, and then Armand basically, "Hey man, just come with me, and you know yeah. we can be my my partner and all that stuff." The way Brad Pitt plays it, he's like, you know, Armand, like he gives him a kiss in the cheek. It's not really, you know, LGBT, whatever. It's a great scene. And he looks at him. He holds him. Looks like he's going to kiss him. He doesn't. He's like, you know, Armand, you've taught me a lot of things. And I'm, and I'm paraphrasing. You know, you've taught me many, many, many things. But, you know, as for your offer, I would have to respectfully decline. And he just walks away, tips his hat. You're right. Great scene. Oh. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically where I'm at right now. We are talking okay. about how, like, he's like, I, you know, I want to offer you to do this mm. to become that you know become my companion and he's just like I just can't you know this is not I'm not part of any time you know I and uh so he just moves on with his life uh decades pass and uh now oh the one thing that I did kind of skip over L- Lestat actually in the book Lestat comes to the vampire theater oh he does and tries to stop them from killing Claudia um and tries to and tries to help yeah but he never and he never uh he never interacts with Louis during that time frame, but he goes so there. So he's there he, like in secret? He's there in the background. He's the one that sort of told the vampires. It wasn't Santiago that found out what was going on. No, it was Lestat's like, hey, no, those two fucked me up, you know? And, um, and so he went after it, but he tried to, tried to help him out and stop him. 
Armand offers Lestat that kind of companionship, and Lestat throws it away, and then he also then he jumps over to to Louis. I would love to see yeah. that scene. Yeah. That would have been cool. Like Lestat saying, "Nah, man, yeah. f you." Later, <laughs> but in turn, they they do something a little different. So decades pass, and Louis wanders the world, dejected, alone, before eventually returning back to the United States and returns to Louisiana. And to New Orleans. And uh, one evening, he finds himself visiting the old plantation in the mansion, neglected and in ruin. And he discovers Lestat living alone in the shadow of his former self, who uh, cringes at car lights and helicopters and basically hasn't adopted to, adapted to the new world. Still in the same garb, too. Like, he's still wearing that, that freaking puppy shirt. That like Renaissance type outfit, like with the wig. I'm like, dude, really couldn't like get like a jacket on or something. <laughs> oh, kind of strange. Well, he he had he had a robe on, so I mean that kind of that kind of doesn't count. Kind of kind of counts. No, it. Doesn't. Uh, so um, you know, I think one of the uh, one of the coolest scenes is like you you see Lestat or you see Louis like looking at like seeing the, I love the, 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 uh, mm. the story where you see him looking at the sun for the first time in movies. Or he's in the movie theater. Yeah. yeah. You see him watching Great. it in a black and white and then you see it in a, and you see, uh, I think it goes from the black and white. It goes to Nosferatu. Then it goes to, I think gone with the wind. And then I think it ends with tequila sunrise. And, uh, that puts it like kind of like in the early eighties, early to mid eighties where he sees Lestat for the last time in the book. Lestat has already put himself into the ground by now. He's already, Kind of done, you know. Put himself in the in the ground, mm-hmm. but he and Louis so do. He and Louis in New do. Orleans by then? What's that? Does uh, Lestat put himself in New Orleans by then? He's or? already. He never left New Orleans. He stayed back in New Orleans, um, and he buried himself into the ground, which they call you know, doing their first sleep, which or their first death. Is vampires will dig themselves into the ground and just stay there until they feel like the drive to get up or just stay there and die. Jesus. Christ. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so the, uh, this concludes the interview with Malloy. But Louis disdain, uh, Louis uh, to Louis disdain. Daniel only sees the potential power, potential power in being a vampire, and requests that Louis turn him. Uh, Leary retorts that his life is nothing but suffering and angered. He leaves the apartment in a flurry. Daniel leaves the apartment, frightened by Louis ra- Louis's rage, and drives off, playing a cassette from the interview. Moments later, Lestat appears like a bat out of hell. <laughs> bites Malloy, having gained some strength, and uh, he puts uh, Malloy into the passenger seat and drives his car away across the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, he turns off the cassette, moaning about Louis, complaining, and offers Malloy a choice that he never had. Oh, Louis, always complaining. Now, always, always whining. <laughs> this is kind of interesting, though. The big difference between this and the book is it's not Lestat that, that uh, confronts Daniel. Ooh, who is it? Armand. And he doesn't confront him this way. Daniel leaves the leaves the room. You know, Louis gets all angry and stuff, and he leaves the room and he finds Armand standing there by his car, and and he starts stalking him <laughs> like like a lot of stalking, creepy stalking. But yeah, that's that's the a few of the differences there. I like this one better. <laughs> I, li- I like the way that it is better. Yeah, I did too. Um, I know. I, I understand. Uh, there, yeah. There's Queen of the Dam. They they put it as the sequel to this. This is so far from the sequel. This is more of a spiritual sequel in a way. Like the to you know the the Queen of the Dam is more of a spiritual. I am a, I am a defender of Queen of the Dam. I know people hated that movie, but I freaking loved it. The it's soundtrack. Not, I know it has nothing uh, to do with the book, oof, dude. We'll talk offline. I I love it. I love it. Anyway, let's yeah. go. <laughs> well, no, that that is the end. 
Um, I guess my thoughts are first. I love this movie. It's a great film. Like, you know, coming from personal, I like vampire movies, but I wasn't really into them. But this one added more intrigue to the vampire movie. And I love the lore. I love the past. I wish they went deep, more deep into the lore. Um, the characters, Louis Lestat steal the whole show. And then you have like, you know, Armand and Claudia, they fill in those gaps. I wish they went in more into that lore. I, that's why I kind of miss and when you tell me like yeah they went more than the lore in the books but man I wish I could have seen that. well not so much they really didn't delve too much into the lore in Interview with the Vampire like when it comes as was a, it more like Stab the Vampire was the lore yeah that's where a lot of the lore comes in that's where you get introduced to to Akasha and you find out more about what the history is of the vampires that's what I'm saying if you were if anybody was ever a fan of Interview with the Vampire and like man I'd really like to see what else they can do and what else they would be able to do don't jump into um Jump into the uh, into the interview or Vampire Lestat because it does a story about Lestat and where he came from and why he's the way he is, and then um, it shows uh, his you know his kind of his his family side, and uh, and then uh, and then it shows the, the the lore of the vampires and and it shows you the the birth of Armand and talks about the birth of Armand's maker and it just gives you a lot more in depth tells you the birth of the. Um, of the of the theater, the vampire theater, and you understand yeah, because why they that built weird. a world here that I wanted to know more about. Yeah, like, even at the time, I wanted to know more about that. That thing. like, man, where did they come from? Who's Armand? Like, oh my god! Like, yeah, and, uh, like, in, in my head, here's how weird I was. I thought he was Dracula. I was like, is he a metaphor for Dracula? No, like, he's no. the first, and th- that's what I thought. Yeah. Time, like now I know. Yeah, you know. By the way, there's another actor here that which they uh, had in mind for Lestat, Julian Sands. Yeah, I think I yeah, Julian. I probably would have gone with a British actor. He but he definitely would have had to throw on the accent a little bit more. I mean, I understand it's. I know Tom Cruise didn't have a have, didn't have a French accent, but I think Julian Sands man would have been. What yeah, he would have been a little bit better. I think because uh, you, you and I are both uh, both oh, Warlock fans, so oh, I, I can man. see that. I cannot believe we haven't done any of them, which makes me kind of upset. Okay. I've got them. I got them. They're ready to go. Hey, I'm waiting for. <laughs> I'm waiting on you. You just hate the third one. That's your only issue. You, you don't get, need you to get do the third one. <laughs> No, you didn't send me the third one. You sent me the first two. And by the way, you got to Oh, I never got it. the third one because, yeah, I, I don't think I got Because you were like, oh, I hate it. I, 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 this is like the Rise of Skywalker. We'll never watch it. I'm like, okay, it's fine. We'll do the first two. I would never have made that quote because I, I'm okay with Rise of Skywalker. You're the one that hates it. I am not. That that quote came straight from your mind, not mine, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> well, I just want to compare it, man. And you always shoot me down. See, you're not a good friend. Uh, just, okay. You're terrible. Let's get the hell out of here. All right, guys. Make sure you guys do check us out on our Facebook page, BAM, where we uh, cover everything. I mean, everything from movies. So we throw a lot of our comic book stuff in there, but, you know, the podcast is uh, mostly focusing on movies. But uh, check out the page. Got some uh, fun interactions going on there. And if you have any ideas for, like, our movie lists and all that, like suggestions, please do write on the Facebook page. And as always, from Mike to me to you, uh, BAM! You have to be a silent, please.